welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight at the Whiskey Society in Seven Grand, we had Powers Irish Whiskey in the house with Mr. Michael Carr educating us on the gold label, Three Swallows and John's Lane. Ooh, what wonderful Irish whiskey was tasted. Tell your friends about our podcast and subscribe to us on YouTube. We've got a bunch of really cool, fun videos up there. And please enjoy this responsibly, which means do it with friends that you actually like. Oh, yes. Whoa, well, come on. All right. You guys, you got to follow the slow clap through to the end. Or if it falls apart, then we all look bad, right? It's okay. It's Tuesday. We made it through Monday. That's something. Tuesday? I don't know. I'm jet lagged. Yeah, it's still Monday for you? It's, no, it's, it's already I, I, Wednesday. I, I, I think it's Friday. <laughs> the world's not that big, Michael. We're now four days off. <laughs> Welcome to the Whiskey Society, everyone. Thank you all for coming out tonight. We're on day two of what will be four Whiskey Societies this week. Little did you know. Yeah, woo is right. That's not a bad thing. We're going to be so well educated. That's what I keep telling my liver. Yeah, or in Ireland we call it pissed. Pissed. Yeah. We're going to be so pissed. Uh, but it's true. But um, we have a, a really great treat for you guys tonight. Uh, we have the global, or as he likes to consider himself, the universal brand ambassador. Because as far as we know, you know, there's other planets drinking whiskey too. And yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll probably, as soon as they figure out a way for you to get there, that you'll be... I'm pretty sure Pernod Ricard have, have some yeah. kind of interstellar vehicle. Don't ask for a pay bump. It's not going to happen. You no. just have to go. No. And they'll send me in coach anyway. So. Oh! Ow, ow, ow. Ow. It's okay. He's got whiskey. It always yeah. feels better. It's fine. <laughs> Once you get up in the air, everything's great. <laughs> but we have Global Brand Ambassador from Powers Irish Whiskey in the house. Please give it up for Mr. Michael Carr. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, so Michael, you're based in Dublin. Yep. And, and you actually helped start the Irish Whiskey Museum in yeah. Dublin? Yeah. Is, that what, I mean, am I, is it called the Irish Whiskey Museum? That's the name of it, Wow, yeah. I'm just, I'm, so far I'm doing great. You're really, really good. You should do this for a living. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I've only been fired like seven times. That's good. Cool. As good long job. as you show up the very next day on time, yeah. they're like, ah, it's too much trouble. Just, <laughs> Come on back in. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Drunk again. Uh, <laughs> uh, but tell us, you start off this museum and it was just like this pet project and then they didn't have anyone to work it. Yeah. And then you started working there like with the intention of maybe only being there a couple of weeks and then it ended up being... Two, two years, years. Yeah. So basically we got one of the, there's a guy who owns a bus company in Dublin and he collected uh, bottles of whiskey without knowing anything about the whiskey. He just liked collecting bottles of whiskey. He didn't drink the stuff at all. Um, <laughs> and one guy, one of the big kind of whiskey collectors in Dublin sold him a full collection of Middleton. So <clears throat> Middleton is released, they release a vintage every year. So he had this full collection of Middleton. He paid 40,000 euros for it, way over price, but still. Uh-huh. And he wanted somewhere to display it. So his other friend, who was a historian, goes, well, why don't you do a... A whiskey museum in Dublin. Should we know nothing about whiskey? So we've got to find somebody who knows a little bit about whiskey. So at the time I was working for Irish Distillers, uh, which is the Pernod Ricard part of Irish, 
we like to say we own uh, Pernod Ricard. Uh, um, <laughs> Alex Ricard, uh, when, when the last chief executive of Irish Distillers started, uh, he said, so he sent a video over you know, to, to introduce us to the chief executive. And he said, um, when my uncle Paul uh, bought Irish Distillers, he thought we were a French company buying an Irish company. We didn't realize it was an Irish company buying a French company. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I was working for, um, as a brand developer for Irish Distillers at the time as a whiskey specialist. And um, these guys got in contact with Irish Distillers and asked, did we have somebody that could talk about um, whiskey to them? And they didn't want to give them anybody important. So they gave them me. Oh. And uh, so I went in there as a consultant, basically just to give them an idea of the history and to try and develop their their exhibits and stuff like that. Uh, and then um, IDL went through a kind of uh, reorganization and I, I kept my job. It was great, but there was kind of, I was a bit worried about it. So um, these guys, the Whiskey Museum took me on as a consultant for the, the whole project. So coming up to the opening day, like three weeks ago, uh, they were searching for a manager, still hadn't got a manager, still hadn't got a manager. A week before, still hadn't got a manager. At this stage, I'm project managing the whole thing. And I said, this look. It's called Irish management style. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then I just said, look, I'll stay on for three months until you get a manager and I can kind of you know, introduce them to the whole lot of it. And two years later, I was still there. <laughs> and I got a phone call from uh, some of my friends in Irish distillers who said, uh, there's a job coming up, Paris brand ambassador for Ireland. And I said, cool. Handed them my notes that day into the Whiskey Museum. And um, they didn't realize the job wasn't for three months, but still, it was great. Uh, I got three months off and I got, uh, I got my dream job, you know. That's really cool. And now you've been with the brand since? Two years uh, now. Yeah. Two years. Two years. So it was up until six months ago, it was just a national kind of gig. I've flown out to the States a few times to do things. But uh, six months ago, they decided to make it a, a global gig without giving me a raise. And um, which is the way of things in Ireland. Uh, you now have a new title, no extra money. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I've, it's been brilliant. So I spend 50% of my time in Ireland because our main market is Ireland. Uh, about 80% of all the power sold in the world is in Ireland. And then I spend about 20% of my time in the States and another 30% working on stuff for the States. So it's great. You, you obviously know a lot about the history of Irish whiskey and Powers has a really important part in the history of Irish whiskey in that during kind of the golden age of Irish whiskey in Dublin, the Powers distillery was regarded as kind of like this marvel of industrialization. Yeah. It was the biggest distillery in the world and people would travel from all over the world just to see the Powers distillery. Can you give us a little bit about the roots? Because it started off just a bar initially, right? Yeah, so the, it was founded by a guy called James Power, who was um, a, a, a small holder, a small landholder from Wexford, down in the southeast of Ireland. Um, and he, well, he wasn't a landholder, his father was, and he wasn't due to inherit anything. Um, so he moved to Dublin and opened up a, a bar just outside the gates of the city of Dublin. Because he was Catholic, he couldn't open a bar inside the gates of the city of Dublin. So he opened his bar just outside. And at the time, it would be common for bars to either buy whiskey in bulk from the local distillery. So across the river, you had Jemison, or next door, you had Rose, or further out, you had another Jemison. There was two Jemison distilleries in Dublin. Um, and he would have bought whiskey off them. And eventually, he would have thought, well, do you know what? I can do this myself. So he started distilling in his basically his back garden. So you know the equivalent of moonshine uh, nowadays. Um, and within 30 years of that distillery opening, 
uh, it was, sorry, within, yeah, within 30 years of that distillery opening, it was, it had come, become the most prosperous distillery in Dublin. At this stage, it wasn't the biggest, but it was definitely regarded as the best whiskey distillery in Dublin. So that brings it up to about 1817. And in 1817, his son, John Power, took over. So the, whis the company is actually called John Power and Sons, not James Power and Sons. We've forgotten about the originally fa original founder. But uh, and when John Power took over, they totally modernized distillery. And if you've ever visited Dublin, we've moved out of Dublin since. We're, we're part of the Middleton Distillery now, but the distillery is still there and it's the National College of Art and Design. And that is the same building that was built in 1817. It was, um, when it was built, they put in steam engines. So it was all process controlled. So when your grain came in, it was, the sacks were put on pulleys that were brought to where they needed to go. And it was, it was like a marvel of engineering. Um, one of the ways our archivist talks about it, and, and she's talked to a lot of the people who worked in the distillery, it would be like, like almost steampunk, you know, when you just, everything, even in the height of winter, it would have been very, very warm because there was steam engines, uh, pipes running everywhere. Everything would have been moving just slightly. There would have been a lot of noise. There would have been a lot of sensation, smells, smells of whiskey maturing, smells of <clears throat> barley being malted and stuff like that. So it was a total sensory experience right, right in the heart of Dublin city. And in the classic Irish form, you guys had massive... Massive. Pot stills, yeah. yeah, copper pot stills. Totally, and and what was slightly different than most distilleries was our pot stills were built by the staff of the distillery, so we didn't bring in you know the likes of Forsyth or Cassidy's in Dublin. We built them ourselves. Um, Powers were very good at that. Almost everything that came into the distillery uh, or anything that's in the distillery was built by the distillery. Our stills were I can't remember the capacity now, but they weren't quite as big as the ones in Middleton. But they were very, very, very big still distilleries. Still to this day, they're still regarded as big stills. Even, uh, yeah. even the ones that are just mothballed. To look yeah, at them now. They're huge. By modern you know, standards, they're still very, very large pot stills. So at the height, say in the 1880s, what were you guys, what was your output in terms of global production of Irish whiskey? So, so for the whole of Irish whiskey, God, I actually don't know what the, the output. The output was massive. One distillery in Dublin in 1886, which was Rose, produced more whiskey. If you take Ireland out of it, produced more whiskey than the whole rest of the world put together. Now, Powers only became the biggest Irish whiskey distillery in the 20th century. Rose would have been the biggest in the 19th century. But you're, t you're talking about if you walked into a bar in Singapore and asked for whiskey, you were given an Irish whiskey. There was no other option. It was Irish whiskey. There was, you know, you, you know if you wanted a single malt scotch, you had to go to... Glenlivet, and you had to ask Mr. Glenlivet for some Glenlivet. Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a thing. There Internationally, wasn't a thing. there's single malt scotch was not even a concept. Not right? at all. No, no, absolutely. So you, the, the whiskey you would have been drinking would have been single pot still Irish whiskey. Even single malt Irish whiskey, there was very few single malt distilleries in Ireland. And uh, if you look at, on the Powers website, uh, the 1913 was the Irish whiskey, sorry, Irish pot still whiskey association. We just found it in the archives. This is Ask Carol when you're there. It's fabulous. And on it has a list of all the pot still whiskey distilleries. So pot still whiskey is unique to Ireland at the moment. And it's malted and unmalted barley instead of just malted barley. Um, and in it, uh, you have all the, the usual suspects, the Jemisons, the Powers, the uh, Mitchell, or sorry, the, the Murphys in Cork, which would be Paddy whiskey. But also you have Bushmills. And Bushmills, of course, is famously a single malt whiskey. But at the time, they were producing pot still whiskey because that's what was selling all over the world. You know. So even when Anais Coffee put the patent on mm. the column still, which was an 
was developed in Ireland. Yep. You guys didn't switch over for no. a long time. No, we, we had column stills in um, we had column stills from the 1920s in in John's Lane, uh, and but you see we we knew we were making the best whiskey in the world. We, we understood that this technology made our whiskey cheaper. We just didn't think it made it better. So why would we change over to it? So we had the stills, but they were used to make stuff like. Uh, Powers silver label gin and stuff like that, but they were they weren't blended. Our whiskies only became blended, I suppose, out of necessity in around 1967, um, and that was after the kind of complete collapse of the Irish whiskey industry. And you have Irish Distillers is founded in 1966. Most people don't realise that Irish Distillers. If you look at the articles of incorporation for Irish Distillers, it's Powers. They couldn't amalgamate. That wasn't the way it worked under law at the time. Powers bought Jemison and Paddy Whiskey and turned it into Irish distillers. So when people ask me about Jemison, and I say, oh, you, you guys are owned by Jemison? I say, no, no. <laughs> Technically, we own Jemison. <laughs> um, so yeah, and, and so in 67, they made some amazing and very brave decisions. Uh, the first decision they made was to make their core tree uh, brands or our core four brands at the time blended whiskey. So they made Tully, Jemison, Paddy and Powers blended whiskies. And they also then made the decision to close our three distilleries in Ireland. So they closed John's Lane Distillery in Dublin. They chose closed Bow Street Distillery in Dublin and they clo closed Middleton Distillery. And the idea then was to make um, before they closed obviously to build the most modern distillery in the world just like Powers had done nearly 200 years earlier and that's what they did in Middleton, and we, and that's we have the new Middleton. That's distillery. the new Middleton distillery, which is probably it's the biggest pot still distillery in Europe, as in ones that has pot stills. It's also totally unique in that it's one of the few distilleries that has, excuse me, columns and pots in the, on the same site, and even more unique in that it has columns and pots in the same room. So it means that we've just total control over what comes out of our stills. Our columns and our pots are massive. Our columns you can see from space, basically. They're, they're absolutely huge. <laughs> they're massive, yeah. It, it looks like a giant oil refinery. It does, exactly, yeah, absolutely. a lot more appetizing because it smells really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what's this first expression that Stephanie just passed around here? So this is Power's Gold Label. Um, I'll just give you a quick little bit of history about Power's Gold Label. Uh, Power's was first bottled in 1886 in John's Lane Distillery. And um, the reason Paris bottled, uh, started bottling their whiskey is because they didn't trust people to bottle their own. So at the time, what you would have done is, you know, seven grand would have bought a, a cask of Powers. Uh, it would have been a cask strength. Then you'd take it and you'd drop it yourselves. You'd bring it down to um, bottling strength and then you'd sell it. You'd bottle it yourselves and sell it with white label bottles. And I'm not casting aspersions on publicans, but you know, the temptation was there to maybe add a little bit more water and you know make a little bit more profit. Um, and Paris didn't like this idea. So they released their own uh, distillery bottled whiskey called Paris Gold Label. Now just to put it in context, that was 1886. Jemison's first bottled whiskey was 1962. Okay, so it was, it was innovative to do it. It was terribly expensive. The label on the bottle, because it was called Gold Label, was made from crushed bronze. Right? The label itself was more expensive than the whiskey in the bottle. <laughs> uh, but it was totally unique. You have to remember that your target customers at this stage probably can't read or write. You know? They really can't. That's not just a joke. That's the truth. Yeah? Um, so they would have been looking at all these white labels and they would have gone, uh, that, that one looks good, gold label. So the gold label was never written on the bottle until the 70s, but they'd be like, I'll have the gold label. 
Um, so that's where Power's Gold label came from. It was, we have price lists um, in the archives in Middleton, and it was eight times more pricey than the biggest selling whiskey in the 1880s. It was it's a, the equivalent of, let's say, Middleton Very Rare or something like that today. It was wow. very, very, very expensive whiskey. Um, and your other tiny little bit of history before we taste it is, because it was so expensive, they invented a totally new concept, miniature spirit. So in 1889, they released the Baby Power. That's what it was called. The tiny little Baby Powers. And the, the mini, the Baby Powers. The airline bottles. The airline bottles. And they were, that was first done in 1889. The next one was released in 1939. Okay? It was way before. And it came in a beautiful um, little uh, cardboard box that had beautiful printing on it. It was wrapped came with his own corkscrew because you couldn't you had to it was a tiny little cork in it and um, and that was about the same price as a normal bottle of whiskey but there's a there's you know lots of uh, contemporary reports most, most mostly advertising to be fair of people preferring a baby power to a, a full-size normal bottle of whiskey that's crazy so, so this is the the gold label yeah now what percentage of malted barley to unmalted barley is in this bottle? So, our, so this is a blended whiskey. Um, the pot still element is 50-50, basically. Now, that gets tweaked all the time. It's just to make sure that the flavor is, is uh, consistent. The pot still element of it is 70% pot still. So it's way higher than any other uh, blended Irish whiskey on the market. Way, way, like more than twice than anybody else. And then 30% grain, aged for five to seven years in second fill and third fill ex-bourbon barrels. So you're saying... 70% malted barley to 30% unmalted barley in nope. the pot still distillate? No. 50 50 okay. in the pot still distillate, but okay. it's 70% pot still. In the bottle? In the bottle. Okay. Exactly, yeah. Lots of percentages can be going to maths now and everybody's confused. But this is more of the new style. This wouldn't have been what we would have been had in the 1880s. There would have been no, no column distillate. There would have been no. So in, in 1967, this, this was launched as a, as a blended whiskey. Now, of the blended whiskies we launched, it was the closest to the original. You know what I mean? So the second whiskey we taste is very close to what you would have tasted back in 1960s. Let's not jump like ahead. Let's, Let's enjoy what ahead, we have yeah. in front of us. <laughs> so stick your nose in this glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, and let's talk about what food words come to mind. Like a classic pot still whiskey is known for, it's, there's a lot of fruity notes that yep. come from that big copper pot still. So yep. what are you guys getting though? What kind of fruit? What kind of sweetness? Think about like, what are you reminded of as you tap this over your tongue? Peaches, stone Peaches. fruit, beautiful. Mm -hmm. getting like Ooh, I get that. Yeah, beautiful. White chocolate angel food cake. I like it. I like it. Natalie? Peach pie. Peach pie. Sean Nation, what do you got, buddy? Are you awake? Hey, don't give him a hard time. He just got back from Jamaica. Oh, life is rough. I just got back from Jamaica. Oh. Stewed fruits, is that what you said? Oh, cool. Right on, right on. Anybody else? I have a little bit of rose petal. Ooh, a little floral note. Nice. Mm. And then as you tap it over your tongue, how does that experience change? See, for me, a lot of Irish whiskey, because it is blended, one of the things that stands up is that astringency. The column dish that really punches through. Not on this one. No. I don't, it doesn't smell isopropyl. No. It doesn't have that astringency. It's really full-bodied. We got these, it is dark fruit, like plums and peaches. Well, that's really damn good. The, the, the other side of that is uh, the, the, the green whiskey that's in it, we, we leave to seven years. So it's not quite as young as maybe some of the other 
the products that come out of Middleton. So it, the, the grain whiskies had a good time in a barrel to to mellow. And, and are you guys using used bourbon casks? So for the grain whiskey, uh, they will use uh, first, second, and third fill bourbon casks for that. So it's a full full gamut of bourbon casks. For the pot still whiskey, we only only use second and third fill bourbon, ex bourbon. The reason for that is when we're distilling, so it's not a case of Middleton is in a distillery that just produces one kind of distillate and then we stick it in a cask and, and after five years, Billy Layton, our master blender, goes down and smells it and goes, yep, that's powers. That's not the way it works at all. They do, uh, we, we produce predominantly three types of distillate out of our distillery. One is a light pot still, one is a mod pot still or a mid pot still, and one's a heavy pot still. That's very simplifying it an awful lot, but that's kind of the way it works. We also produce other types of distillate in small batches for for fun. Um, so does that have does that have to do with where you're doing the head cuts then? And when you say light body, medium body, heavy body, yeah, okay, exactly. So with the powers the, in the second and third distillation, the cut is very tight on it. Uh, the reason for that is we're getting somebody was saying fruits. We we try not to get as much of those kind of fruity flavors coming through our distillate. We we want them to come from the wood if they're going to come from it. We want our distillate to be very very clean coming through so it's a very very tight cut on it and the, the heart of the distillate and all that and we do that twice so we 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 kind of recycle an awful lot of spirit back in you know? is the distiller's beer that you make is it pretty fruity have you had it uh i have it's vile um <laughs> it really is vile it's distilled it's distilled or it's it's brewed very strong so our our, our um beer is it's coming in around 10 11 percent wow so it's very very strong and one of the reasons for that is again the big pot stills you kind of you gotta you gotta put it in pretty strong to start with um, it, it is, it does carry a good bit of fruit through into the, the, the pot still, yeah. Do you guys have a proprietary yeast that you use no. or is it just some, like, I'd distiller's love, yeast? I'd love to bullshit you about this yeast that we, that we scrape off the back of a cabbage and <laughs> corn. But no, no, it's just distiller's yeast, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to, I'm, 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 like, I'm supposed to do all that leprechaun bullshit, but I'm not going to. <laughs> it's okay, you were the largest leprechaun I've ever seen. <laughs> We're all like this. We're all like this. Do you guys, uh, do you stir the distiller's beer? Is it, is it yeah. murky when it goes in the pot so, still? Or is it clear? No, it's murky when it goes in, but there's, we, we, we take away all of the... The solids? The solids. And actually, funnily enough, Middleton's most profitable output is our animal feed. Uh, yeah, so that's actually, we make more money off the, as in per unit, let's say, of of animal feed, but also it's the hardest because you are very strict on anything that goes into the food chain. So, but it's it's fascinating. That's that's the part of it that's most regulated in the whole distillery. The animal feed part of it is the part that has like ten guys in white coats and goggles looking at everything. So, and are you guys bottled at the old, at the New Middleton Distillery as no, well? We bottle uh, all of all of our whiskies except for like kind of single cast stuff is all bottled in our old Powers bottling plant just outside Dublin. So Ooh. it's still all of our stuff is bottled there. Um, it's called Fox and Geese, and it was originally the site of the Powers United football team training ground. And uh, yeah, and it's 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 been that was open in '64, and um, because we started to run out of space in Dublin City, in that the, the the city started to encroach on the distillery. Back in the '60s, it was a huge homelessness crisis in Dublin, um, and because they started to pull in, pull down the tenement buildings, and they started building lots of social housing in the city. And because Powers was right, right beside the city center, it was like a six acre site, uh, took up a huge chunk of Dublin city. Um, they started 
compulsory purchase orders and start taking our warehousing and stuff like that, knocking it down, building houses. So we moved our warehousing out, out of the city, which is now in the middle of the city again, because the city's <laughs> caught up with it. But uh, so at that stage, we did all our warehousing and bottling out in Fox and Geese. And, and back when you guys were in Joms Lane yeah. and at the kind of the boom of the industrialization of whiskey, that you guys had tenements for the employees right around we the had, distillery, We right? had even even better than that. They'd be upset that you called them tenements, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. Is uh, that bad? I don't, it is, I don't tenements know. Tenements I live in an apartment. Yeah. Apartments. Yeah, we had apartments. Well, that's actually a bit too much. Uh, <laughs> so it were boarding houses. Boarding houses. So the um, distilling was a six months a year kind of job. Uh, so you got, you got your grain in in the fall. You distilled all winter through spring. And then you did all your maintenance for the summer. Um, and Powers, like I said, they were from Wexford. The family were from Wexford. They owned a lot of land down around Wexford and uh, a place called Eddermine and, and Oilgate. Um, and so those guys were kind of small hold farmers and they really only worked for the summer. So from spring when they planted to autumn, now we're not talking about barley here, we're talking potatoes, cabbages, and maybe uh, fishing. Uh, so they would have been out of work for the winter. They wouldn't have made any money. So power started bringing these people up to Dublin to live. And they'd work for the six months in the distillery and then go back down and work six months on the land. Um, because powers were a good Catholic family, they didn't want their workers staying uh, where all the boarding houses were in Dublin, which was an area called Monto. Monto was the biggest red light district in Europe at the time. So, you know, you couldn't be subjecting your workers to that sort of temptation. <laughs> they uh, probably wouldn't show up for work on time. Well, it, especially if the... If, well, they would. Prostitutes and whiskey go hand in hand, I'm, t <laughs> I'm told. Um, so, so they started building boarding houses all around. Uh, so we have we've great rules. We have the uh, posters that were on the walls of the boarding houses, and they were like, uh, you know, um, you can't come in after a certain time and all this. But actually, one of the really beautiful things is they had um, uh, the, the washing, so you could get your clothes washed. You have to remember, people only had one set of clothes. They were very, very poor people. They were they were smallhold farmers. So. They just have one set of clothes and they'd never get washed. And that was, you were wearing your poverty. You know what I mean? People yeah. could see. So when you were in one of these boarding houses, you were given two nightshirts, basically. So you take, put your nightshirt on and then your housekeeper would wash your clothes. So suddenly you were giving people back dignity. Um, my favorite part of it is your, your, your shorts, your drawers were only washed once a week. Mm -hmm. To be fair now, hey, that was actually we, we all really know bartenders that do that more than, uh, do less than that now. And <laughs> um, and These then, guys are called hipsters. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Curly mustaches. Um, the, the, but your, the, the, your collar, so most shirts had button-on collars. That would be washed twice a week in your handkerchief because all Paris staff, when they were working in the distillery, wore grey coats with the diamond P on them. The one thing they could see was your collar and you'd have your handkerchief there. And like... You know, they wanted people to think that the staff were really well looked after, which they were for the time. So they always had clean collars and, and uh, clean handkerchief. So they were very, very good to their staff. But we have, we have those boarding houses. We have all the rules and stuff like that. They're really, really cool to see, you know. We, even, we have photographs of all the guys who are staying in them and their names as well. So a couple of bars in Dublin that are, were in our old bottling hall, they've started naming cocktails after all these old staff members oh, cool. and stuff like that, you know. That's really rad. So we're going to come around with the second mark now. Um, can you tell us what we're going to be trying next here? So this is Powers Tree Swallow. Um, Powers Tree Swallow is uh, is a single pot still whiskey. So it's made from the malted and unmalted barley. There's no grain whiskey in this. Uh, again, five to seven, maybe a little bit older. 
And um, this is very close. If you, if you sat down in 1960 in a bar in Dublin and you asked for a Powers whiskey, this is very close to what you would have been getting at the time. Uh, single pot still, very, very clean. Um, I'll just tell you where we got the name from. So, so uh, he's saying tree swallows. There's no trees involved in this. It's three. Three, three we, swallow. They don't have three. ages in Ireland. Three swallows. No, it's three swallows. Going home. No, 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 come on, Michael. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You, got it. you can punch me. You're bigger than me. It's fine. No, I can't. You can punch me. No, no. No, no. Uh, so okay. the story of, of yeah, three, tell us the story the story of the three, of three swallow. swallow. Uh, so back in the 1830s, 1840s. I, yeah, was, I like it when you say tree swallows. Tree, tree swallow. Tree swallow. Uh, we don't have, the English took away our H's. That's bad. They took away our potatoes and our H's. Well, Brexit's going to even out the field, so don't worry. Fine. We'll give them back potatoes. Um, so so uh, back in the 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, there was an aphid from the US that infected vines in Europe. Um, and uh, it really affected uh, brandy output. So like, the people, after a few years, couldn't get aged brandy. And brandy was a super premium spirit, as it is today uh, in Europe. But it was the big seller. Um, and Irish whiskey stepped into that space. So you had Irish whiskey companies like Jemison, you'd have Three Star Jemison, you have Five Star Jemison, because they would start copying the brandy companies that had Three Star, Five Star, <coughs> stuff like that. So Powers didn't want to be like everybody else, that wasn't our thing, but we had to kind of go with what was happening. So they came up with the, the, the swallow. Now we never knew where they got the story or the idea for the swallow up until really recently. Um, one of the Powers family members still works with us, Dennis O'Reilly. And he was chatting to his aunt, who had broken open a drawer in her house that had come from a desk that she had inherited from the family. And in it was uh, a letter written by John Power explaining where the tree swallow came from. Basically, when they traveled from Dublin to Wexford, it was about eight hours on, uh, in, a, in a horse and carriage, they'd have to stop every so often to change the horses. And he noticed that the coachman would have a little swallow, a little nip, of whiskey each, so there was three coachmen. So he was, this popped into his head, three swallow, this is great. So the tr if you look at any bottle of Powers, you'll see that two of the swallows are facing forward, so there was two coachmen on the front, and one is facing back, because there was one on the back. The guy in the back, his job was, when people were getting on one side, he had to lean to the other to stop it flipping over. So that's where it comes from. That's really cool. <laughs> I've also heard the story that uh, when sipping a whiskey, you want to do it with three swallows? Uh, it was a, a baby bottle. The, the, baby the baby power, bottle. you drank that in three swallows. Or oh, my, da okay. or my, or my dad tries to drink from. this with three swallows. Yeah. <laughs> that's called chugging. That's chugging, yeah. You want some, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so stick your nose in the glass. There's no column distillate, meaning that traditional astringency that you think of when you think of a great Irish blend, that, that lightness. This is all pot still. This so, is all pot still. So, what, what are you guys getting? What, what fruits come to mind? What kind of sweetness? Or is there an earthiness? Brown sugar. Ooh, nice. Nice. Maria? Cherries. All right, all right. What else? Black cherry, yeah. Those dark fruits coming from that big pot still. I get, always get a weird candy banana smell. Candy banana? Just, just at the top. That's that brown sugar thing. You get a little yeah. bananas foster going on yeah. there. Now tap it over your tongue. How does that experience change? Man. See, on the tongue, I'm getting that 
the dark cherry on the nose, but on the tongue, I get that stone fruit again. I get a little bit of that peachiness, and there's the oakiness mm. to this expression. So, is the cooperage different on this one? What is it? It is. It is. Uh, it's second and third fill bourbon barrels again. Predominantly, there is a little bit more first fill, so you're going to probably get that that kind of um, oakiness from the barrel. But also, three percent of this is aged for one year in sherry cask. So there's a hint wow. of sherry coming through, and it is only a hint. We're not stepping into you know red breast category here. Uh, um, it's it's very much just a a tinge of sweetness that comes into it, and uh, yeah, it's it's this for me. Like we've only launched this in LA, but we've had it in Ireland for the last nearly six years and it's been a runaway success for yeah. us because I, I know why it's a great step into that pot still category when mm. you're you know when you're pot still is so confusing for people because you know the term means two different things you know it means a bloody big copper yolk and it also means malted and unmalted barley so even the term confuses people. And then they, they look at it, and we talk about pot still whiskies, and they're looking at three fabulous whiskies in the likes of John, or, um, Tree Swallow, Green Spot, and the Spots range, and then Red Breast. And, and where do you step into that category? For me, it's always going to be Paris, because it's the most traditional of them, but it brings you on that journey, you know? So it really opens up, I think it opens up that pot still category for, for people. So it's all being made now at the New Middleton Distillery. Yeah. And so you send your master blender out there, or he, he works there all the time, and he's creating like that Powers flavor profile, even while they're doing other, they're doing the green spot there, they're doing the red breast there. And so those guys kind of take turns running the stills? Not, not at all. So they, they have, they spend most of their time making Jemison distillate, let's be honest, because like, <laughs> that's the one that pays the bills. Right, it, it uh, outsells all the other whiskeys put together. It outsells all the other whiskies put together multiplied by five, like five or, or six. six. Yeah, right. So we have, there's, there's a, they, they might have a month where they do a powers run. Um, so our masters, our five masters in the distillery will switch their hats, put on their powers hat, and they, but they, they'll know what they're doing. Um, and then with Green Spot, so Green Spot and Red Breast are much more closer to the Jemison distillate. So that's falls into that category. When it comes to the blending side of stuff, again, it's done in batches so you will have Jemison blending for the predominant part of the year then you'll all the rest will be broken up so they're just changing their hats for for those things there's a huge fondness for powers in middleton in all of ireland powers is a huge yeah. brand in ireland outside, outside of dublin it's the number one selling whiskey in ireland outside of dublin now to be fair one third of the population live in dublin so <laughs> the biggest selling whiskey in ireland is Jemison, but it's concentrated on the dublin market mm -hmm. so like if you go into most bars outside of dublin you'll have a four and a half liter bottle of powers up there. And that's, you know, if you go in and ask for, a, actually, I know some buyers, you go in and ask for a Jemison, they go, I'll give you a powers. <laughs> that's right, that's right. That's a big bottle of powers. Uh, that's, uh, one of my accounts will do that in, on a Saturday. Uh, wow. yeah. Where is this pub? It's, got, it's called the Thomas House and it's a rockabilly punk bar. Uh, yeah. In Dublin? In Dublin, yeah. It's next, yeah, it's next hey, door oh. to the distillery actually. So it's a, it's a great place. That's really, really great. What do you guys think of this uh, Three Swallows? One, two, three. One, two, three, right? It's very, very great. How much does a bottle of this go for, Ken? Oh, sorry, what? How much does a bottle of this go for? Uh, so retail, probably around 50-ish. Around $50 for a bottle of the Three Swallows. The gold label, what's that run at the liquor store? 
Same price as JMO. Twenty-five to thirty. Yeah. Okay. Natalie. Uh, what is the proof of this? Okay, so the first two are forty-three point two percent alcohol, whatever that is in proof. I'll have to read it because I can't do math. Eighty-six point four. Now that's different than in Ireland uh, because our government love taxing the shit out of us. Uh, so in Ireland, we sell it at forty proof to two or four, uh, eighty proof to two of them. The reason we do such a weird proof for you guys is because traditionally powers always ship their cast over proof. When we were selling to the States, casks, you know, were traveling for two or three months and they might be out in the sun and stuff like that. So they started to lose alcohol as they were coming across. So we, it was just tradition. And when we kind of relaunched powers into the States in the last few years, we were like, well, why don't we just stick to tradition? We've done it so well so far. And also what it does is really annoy the whiskey collectors in Ireland, which I really enjoy doing. <laughs> Like, I have a list of about eight people that want a bottle, just a bottle of year ago label back, just to have in their collection, because... And I'm not bringing it back for them, so... <laughs> so, yeah, so they, and the, the tree swallow is the same. It's the same uh, percentage. And there's a little tiny bit of sherry cask on that? Tiny, 3% okay. for one year. And no age statement, but what's the majority of that whiskey? So you're in and around seven, eight years for, for that whiskey. It changes all the time, but it changes because they're trying to stay consistent with flavor profile. And as you know, whiskey is an organic product. It changes slightly every year, you know. And like this year, they're very worried about what's happening. First of all, in, in maturation, because we had a really, really warm summer. We had like 70 days without rain. Yeah. So we're really worried because that's going to have a massive impact on the barrels that we really haven't had, you know, uh, in, in the last 30, 40 years. So our, we've lost the kind of uh, collective memory of how to manage that. And also our yields from grain this year were, t we had really wet spring. It went very late into the summer. Then we had a really dry summer. So those two things are terrible. And then we had a really dry autumn. So our grain yields were really bad this year. So we have to see what kind of we just don't know what our whiskey is going to be like. We have to wait two or three years to find out. So it, they have to, when they're making up these, it's a single pot still, when they're making up the barrels of it, it'll move with flavor, if you know what I mean, to try and keep it consistent. Do you know how many barrels go into a bottling batch for the different expressions? It's, it, it's pretty huge, actually, for all of them. Like a um, thousand barrels to a batch? Yeah, 800 to 1,000 barrels to a batch, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're big because they'll do it only once a year. So right, and you're, you're basically using that one month a year to create all the whiskey that you're going to sell for that year's For powers, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Wow, really cool. Really, really cool. So I always think of Irish whiskey to me as like kind of the, the easiest entry into the whiskey world. It's the easiest sipping whiskey. It, it's, it's fruity. I think the word you're looking for is best. 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 Yeah, sorry. Best. Yeah. So we were, I'll, I'll were, go with that. Yeah, you were looking that. around there, but yeah. But um, like something like the Three Swallows for me, that's like a table whiskey that I could have every day. Absolutely. That would be an easy yeah. sipper that I could go to every single day. Absolutely. And like it, it's a step away from the blends because the blends tend to be, you know, you, you, you can get bored of the blends pretty easy. Yeah, I yeah. think with this, you're never going to get bored. The flavor holds up on it as well. Right. You know, it's a really, it's a really, really, really good entry into pot still Irish whiskey. Absolutely. Now, can you paint a picture for me of like, Say I'm an average Irish, per Irish person, which is, that's a stupid you're, you're, stereotype. You're a little bit small. Right? I'm a little bit small. Ah, he's getting me back for the tree thing. Um, no, the, uh, but say like I'm, I'm going to a pub in Dublin yep. and I'm a local. Um, Give me now, an ID. Do, do. 
It's good. It's good. It's really good. Um, do, do you guys tend to drink your whiskey straight or on the rocks or do you add water? Do you drink it with the beer? Is it a powers and a stout or like what? what's kind of the way that the average Irish person all of might the enjoy the whiskey? Absolutely all of the above. Like Jemison Ginger and Lime is knock it out of the park, the biggest drink in Ireland at the moment, apart from, you know, Guinness. And uh, so that's that's predominantly the way uh, Jemison's drank. Powers will be drink drink neat, and it'll nearly always be served with a with a pint of stout. So you'll you'll order your pint, your whiskey's put in front of you. You sip your whiskey, you get your pint after one hundred and twenty one point five seconds or whatever bullshit they <laughs> they come up with now, uh, and then you you that's the way you would drink it. Yeah. Well, I had the experience. I was visiting the Palace Bar, and you know we. Americans, I did like the shot of Powers in the in the in the Guinness, yep. and and I'm drank that, you know, and I'm you know I I, I think of myself as not being a, a, an acute alcoholic, um, but um, he's only twenty one, so <laughs> I'm, I'm very cute. Um, yeah. uh, thank you. <laughs> the but the bartender we we had, I was with a, a couple. I was with Angus and Andrew. We had. A beer and a shot, and within 20 minutes we ordered another round of beer and a shot, mm. and we finished that pretty quickly. And then we were going to order another, and the bartender was like, "I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you gentlemen off." And I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, you've had four drinks in 40 minutes," mm. and I'm like, "What? How do people drink here? What is going on? This is like I'm just getting warmed up." <laughs> um, well, to be fair, there's uh, the bars, especially Palace, because it's such a kind of high-profile bar, and it is a brilliant pub. Willie it's runs gorgeous, a shop. one of the most Fabulous. gorgeous pubs in the world. Fabulous, and a great and like just just great stories associated with that pub. Um, but they. They're being very careful now. They're being very careful. But like, you know, that would never happen in a country pub. You they just probably keep going, you huh? just keep going until you pass out and then they'd take your wallet and pay for a few more. <laughs> um, but no, but like like in, 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 in the palace bar now, when especially in the whiskey bar upstairs, it'll be just drinking niche whiskies and people exploring whiskies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But like for most people it might be whiskey and water. Powers and water is, yeah. is, is if you're Yeah, if that's you're what I saw it. there. A lot of people adding yeah. water to their whiskey. Now, can you explain, like, the, the full pour in Ireland is different than what we call a full pour in America. A full pour here is about two ounces, just under two ounces, 60 milliliters. Yeah, ours is 35.5, very specifically 35.5. Um, so the baby pair is 71. So the baby pair is 71. It's a, so now you can understand why I was so mad at getting cut off so early. Yeah, it's like, only later. I was like, these are small shots, you man. You should have asked for a baby power. You could have got them. You would have been in good shape. Yeah, it's 35.5. Like, over the years, it's become very regulated, uh, pub, the pub game in Ireland. So you, there's, they're very strict on an awful lot of things. But at least it's not the UK. It's only a 25 mil Oof. shot. Yeah, sad. So sad. It explains an awful lot about well, we angry, how angry they are. <laughs> well, we have bartenders here in America that free pour, and you, you order a shot, it would be four ounces. So it's like, but that's you're done for the night. That's it. <laughs> well, that's your average dive bar first entry point right there. So I'm going to tell you a very quick story about how I got into Paris, because it's very specific. I started working on a bar on the 17th of March, 1996. I remember that specifically because I was in a marching band, and I'd done three fucking parades that day and I was very tired but I needed a job so I went back to work in the bar that was Paddy's day it's kind of easy to remember everybody in the world was drunk and I was drunk and the next day we had um, 
it was the 18th and it was like a Tuesday, so it was super quiet. And we had training session with Powers Irish Whiskey. Now, training session in 1996 consisted of gold label, hot gold label, and Irish coffee. And that was the training session. And I couldn't, when I was ta never tasted whiskey in my life, drank plenty of beer, but never tasted whiskey in my life. I was 18. And I said, I couldn't understand why you kept trying to mix it. You couldn't, oh, you can have powers with red lemonade, which is just a complete invention in Ireland. It's just, it's lemonade with red dye in it. Um, it helps us ginger stay ginger. Um, you have, uh, you, so I couldn't understand why they were always trying to mix it. I always, I thought this stuff was amazing and loved it. Um, and the owner of the bar was, he was very good at history. So he bought a book from me because I was interested in, in the whiskey about the, the, the history of Irish whiskey. And from then I've just, I just started reading about whiskey. Now I knew nothing about whiskey. And in, I had a couple of bars and lived a full life and it was great. And in um, 2007, the recession hit Ireland very, very badly. And I had two bars at that stage, both of them closed within a few weeks of each other. And uh, it shows you how good I was at running them. Um, <laughs> and uh, Dublin Airport, about six months later, were looking for an Irish whiskey ambassador. And one of the guys I knew who worked with was, you should go for that. You know an awful lot of know nothing about whiskey. I know absolutely nothing about whiskey. He was just go for it. So I went for the interview. And the girl who was giving me the interview didn't know anything about Irish whiskey <laughs> at all. Like, I mean, she didn't know that there was Scotch whiskey. Do you know what I mean? So I got the job and because <laughs> I gave out to her. <laughs> and I was like, how can you be interviewing me about whiskey when you don't know anything? So she gave me the job. Um, and from that, I started to meet people like you guys who would be interested in whiskey. I didn't realize there was weirdos like ye out there. Because <laughs> nobody was buying whiskey. You We're know? everywhere, We're man. everywhere. <laughs> so it was really, that's, that's what got me into this journey in whiskey. And, and I just, like, for, for, these events are absolutely priceless for learning about whiskey. And, like, especially stuff that you wouldn't normally get to try. In Ireland, one of the biggest things now is bourbon tasting because we don't have bourbon. Mm -hmm. And we don't believe in scotch because, you know, <laughs> it doesn't exist to us. My dad, actually, there's a, here's a story about the Palace Bar. Myself and my dad went in six weeks ago. And uh, my dad comes and goes, Jesus, they have every whiskey here. I said, yeah, they have every whiskey except, you know, a few scotches. And he goes, right, grand. So Willie comes down and goes, oh, Mick, how are you doing? What do you have? Two pints of Guinness. And my dad goes, I'll have a black and white. It's a scotch blend. So Willie's like, oh, fuck. So going through every bottle in the place, goes down into the cellar, pulls, goes through boxes. All I hear is, yay! Comes up with a bottle of black and white. And my dad just goes, nah, I don't want it now. I'll have a Jemison. Ah! <laughs> Poor Willie. Poor Willie. Poor Willie. So, so what is this last one here? So this is Paris John's Lane. John's Lane is the name of our distillery, uh, our, our, our former distillery in Dublin. When this was released, we were trying to bring people back to what the premium product of John's Lane would have been. So Powers released loads of whiskies over the years, but the 12-year-old the was their premium. And um, the age profile of this is 12 to 18 or 19 years. So there's quite old whiskies in this. Um, it's single pot still. So malted and unmalted barley. There's a little bit more first fill cask in this. So you're gonna hopefully get that vanilla coming through. But there's also a little bit more sherry cask in this. So 6% aged for one year. The sherry comes through on the nose, I think. Well, this is an interesting thing then. So this harkens back to kind of the older style, but like what kind of barrels would they have been aging the whiskey in the 1880s? In the 1880s, powers would have been using Irish oak barrels. 
Irish oak. Irish so what oak. does that taste like? Uh, you'll have to buy Middleton Dargaelic to find out. Ah. Jasmine, you want to bring that stuff in here? We've got, yeah, we've, yeah. we've got a bottle. We've yeah. got a bottle. We yeah. good. Oh, we're out. Yeah. Jasmine, like, we'll take another order, right? You got it. All right. Um, yeah, it, like, f f the, the ones I've tasted, not I've never tasted the really old stuff because it, there's very little of it left. People ask, like, if Powers was so big, why is there no old bottles of Powers left? And, like, they drank it. <laughs> they didn't look at it. They drank it. You know, like, people go, well, there's old bottles of Jemison. But there really isn't. There's only bottles from the 1960s in Jemison. We do have bottles going back to the 1880s in Powers, but they were kind of, already corked and stuff like that. But the taste profile I get of um, Irish oak tends to be, I find it quite nutty and chocolatey and earthy. And right. it is lovely. It really is lovely. And you would, Powers back then would have been a little bit more like that, you know. And when did you start using American bourbon casks? Uh, the first receipts we have from bourbon for bourbon casks from the States from Powers is from the 1890s, so very, very early. Now, they wouldn't have been bourbon cast. They would actually be virgin oak cast. They would have bought them in. Um, but we started big time using them in the 1930s. So after Prohibition ended, um, they started coming into to Ireland. And where does the tradition of using sherry casks in Irish whiskey maturation? So in Irish whiskey maturation, it comes from the fact that when uh, the big bottlers, so the likes of Gilby's and Mitchell's, who uh, owned the Greenspot brand. And uh, Gilby's would have been the originators of Redbreast. Uh, exactly, or, or, or Bailey's. They mm. would have been the people behind Bailey's. Gilby's so, Gin. Gilby's Gin, of course. So they would have uh, basically, sherry was the big drink, uh, um, I suppose, among the upper classes at the time. So they would have imported sherry by cask from, from Jerez in Spain. Now, funnily enough, Sherry was actually aged in bourbon casks. That was the way to age it. But it was transported in um, European oak casks or Spanish oak casks. And those oak casks, once the sherry was decanted out of them, Gilby's or Mitchell's or people like that would send them over to Jemison. Never ever to Powers, but they'd send them to Jemison or they'd send them to DWD or to different companies in Dublin. They'd fill them and they take them back and mature them themselves. And that tradition still goes on with the likes of Mitchells. They're, I think they're the only company that do it now with us. But um, that's where the sherry and the wine cast thing came from. Powers would never have done that. They might have bought a few casts to experiment with, but they never did it commercially. It was always about that clean distillate. So this sherry expression is kind of something for the more modern palate. This is a newer addition it is, to yeah, the Yeah, so profile. really you, you would be looking at around 1900 would have been when that started to happen. So when, when Gilby's and when Mitchell's, Mitchell's had uh, their, what's now Greenspot was called Krushkeen Lawn, and that was, I think they were the first company to do it. Oh. So what do you guys think? Stick your nose in this glass, tell me what you're experiencing as you smell and taste the Powers John's Lane. Macadamia, Sagan, Courant. That's beautiful. Walnut Whip. And is this the same proof as this one's higher proof? This is 46, so this is the same in Ireland oh, okay, and here, okay. yeah, 46. Sean Nation, what you got? Chocolate covered cherries, damn. Salted dried plums. Wow. That's very specific. I'm, I'm getting like there's a mossiness to this too. Yeah. I get like a, a verdant green note right in the middle of the nose. My favorite uh, description I've ever heard was uh, Billy, our, Martin, our master blender. And he was kind of pissed off. I mean, it's very hard to get Billy pissed off. He's a really, really good guy, right? He's a really gentle, sweet man. 
but he was really pissed off with a very specific guy in the Irish Whiskey Society who kept asking him stupid questions. So Billy was there, and your man goes, he started explaining all this stuff he was getting, his nose, and Billy's looking at him going, I'm paid to do this, and you're telling me. So Billy just started going, well, I get disappointment <laughs> on a Tuesday just outside Ballyfermot <laughs> and it was just the funniest thing I've ever to see the, one of the greatest uh, people who's represented Irish whiskey in the world yeah. tear that person asunder was <laughs> one of my favourite things he regrets it to this day as well he right, really I, feels I, bad I, I but he just true. he was just like this guy is I get paid. My nose is worth millions. <laughs> well, I've been attacked by a coked-up werewolf, so um, that happens. It's, it's L.A. <laughs> trying to do a tasting, and some guy keeps grabbing my arm. And I'm like, man, if you touch me again, I'm gonna have to kick you, take out you of down. Here. <laughs> take it down a notch. So, what do you guys think of this? John Powers, John Lane, John's Lane, John's Lane. Uh, this is one of my favorite expressions that you guys offer for sure. It's really robust. So, just to give you the, the silly gold medals and stuff, this got double gold at San Francisco this year. So it was best best Irish whiskey in San Francisco. That was up against everything. So all of the wow. new guys, all of the old guys, the, all the Jemisons, all the Middletons, all the Teelings, all the Bushmills, and it got best Irish whiskey. So I think, to be honest, that's kind of a bit cool. Yeah, yeah congrats on that. You know, to be fair, you probably should, if Billy was here, you'd be clapping him, because, you know. Or Brian Nation or one of those guys. Michael, do you have a, an Irish toast for us by chance? Absolutely not, no. All right, all right. It's so okay. All of the other Irish whiskey ambassadors have one, so no. my thing is not to have one. Okay, that's yeah. fine. I've got, I got, you've got a calico shirt, and so you got one up on those guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a soft spot. When I was a kid, I used to have this, like, cool calico shirt. And this I was, was like, made by a fan. Really? Yeah. So there's a shop called Bureau in upstate New York in Buffalo. And there's a guy there who uh, just fell in love with Paris whiskey. And he, he's the, the tailor. And so he emailed me, he Facebooked me, asking me for my church, shirt size. And I'm like, fuck off, weirdo. Uh, <laughs> and he goes, no, no, I want to make you a shirt for, for, your, for your events and stuff like that. So I was like, right, I could do it now, free shirt. So <laughs> grand. And about six weeks later, it arrived in the post. And I was kind of expecting it to be very powersy. He only did one thing. He put a little Powers logo. Why do you put it there? So, so you can do what you're doing now. Exactly. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's really so if cool. anybody want to make me like trousers. Yeah. <laughs> you're no in problem. the right place. Downtown yeah. LA, we can manufacture <laughs> anything down here. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I love it. We have, they used to call me flower shirt. I wear my, I, it was like they make fun of me for it. Now I was like, come on, it's calico, man. Yeah, it's so you gotta do it. I was way ahead of my time. I didn't know. <laughs> Beautiful stuff. Well, thank you for coming no out problem. tonight. Let's give it up for Mr. Michael Carr. Thank you. thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. Remember.